Welcome to Clearview Community Church Online. My name is Clayton and I'm one of the pastors here. Thank you for joining us today. Now we are one church in multiple locations that exists to help people become fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. And today the goal is simple. I wanna help you take a step forwards in your faith journey as a follower of Jesus. And today we're looking at a passage in the book of Luke, that one commentary that I referred to, it noted it as one of the most notoriously difficult passages of Luke to interpret. So this is a good exercise in how we approach and how to deal with difficult to understand parts of the Bible. Now there's three helpful things for this for you. First, don't avoid it. It's in the Bible, it's there for a reason, and the early church continued to share it as something of great importance, and so we will deal with it and not avoid it. Now secondly, you have permission to take it slow. It's actually healthy to slow down sometimes. And to be honest, the Bible isn't actually written in a way to blast right through it. It's meant to be read and heard and remembered and meditated upon, all of which is done slowly. And then third, look for Jesus. One of the best ways that I've found to deal with passages or, or teachings that are difficult is to search for the key statement or the key idea that Jesus is presenting, especially if in that particular passage, he actually does explain it, which is the case in our passage today. So there's our three ways to look at these difficult passages. Don't avoid it, take it slow, and look for Jesus. So let's look at Luke chapter 16, verses 1 to 15 today. So Jesus told his disciples, there was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. So the rich man called him in and asked, what is this I've heard about you? Give an account for your management because you cannot be my manager any longer. And the manager said to himself, well, what shall I do now? My master is taking away my job. I'm not strong enough to dig or to do manual labor and I'm ashamed to beg. I know what I'll do. Uh, when I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their houses. So he called in each one of his master's debtors, and he first asked the first, how much does, do you owe my master? 900 gallons of olive oil, he replied. And the manager told him, take your bill, sit down quickly, and make it 450. And then he asked the second, and how much do you owe? A thousand bushels of wheat, he replied. And he told him, take your bill and make it 800. Now the master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it's gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Whoever can be trusted with very little, well, they can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you've not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? And then Jesus continues and he says, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and you'll despise the other. 
You cannot serve both God and serve money. And then there's the Pharisees who loved money. They heard all this and they were sneering at Jesus. He said to them, you are the ones who justify yourselves in the eyes of others, but God knows your hearts. What people value highly is actually detestable in God's sight. Okay, so there you go, our passage for today. Let me uh, dive into it for a few minutes here. So the deal is there's a wealthy man who has a manager or a steward in charge of his estate and the estate, it's been run poorly. So the manager is getting fired. But before his last day of work, he's tasked with fixing the problems and setting things right. So far, this is pretty straightforward. And the soon to be unemployed manager is at a point in his life though, that going into day labor, which really is the only other work option for him, it's not really a true option for him. And now he also knows he's too proud to beg. And so he's anticipating a life ahead of him of painful poverty. And what faces him now is a twofold problem in his culture. You see, his culture is what is an honor and shame based culture. So that more importantly in this culture, more than importantly than money was the honor you had. If you didn't have honor, then you would be considered to have shame. And honor was given by your peers and by your community. And this man was about to be shamefully dismissed for mishandling someone else's business and to enter into a life of poverty where shame itself would be compoundly thrust upon him over and over and over again. So this manager, this steward, he has an idea. He calls back all the debts that are owed to the owner of the estate and he gives them discounts so they can pay back the owner and the business. Now this action makes the business whole. And now while he is still going to be unemployed, the owner can't shamefully dismiss him. After all, all of his assets have been made whole. The estate has been made proper, the company and business. It's not in the red anymore, actually. Because of the hustle of this steward or manager, he kind of left the business in a half decent spot. So the master or, or the business owner, he actually commends him, or in another word, he gives him honor. Now this would have saved the man's reputation and maintained what I would call his higher ability in the future. And this is where the story ends, the parable ends, and then Jesus's comments begin. Now listen to three statements that he says, and, and in the New Living Translation, it's a helpful translation I find for these three statements. Now first, Jesus says, here's the lesson, that you should use your worldly resources to benefit others and make friends. Then, when your earthly possessions are all gone, they will welcome you to an eternal home. And then statement number two, he says, if you're faithful in the little things, you'll be faithful in the large ones. But if you're dishonest in the little things, you won't be honest with greater responsibilities. And then statement three, no one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love others. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot both serve God and money. So what Jesus is doing here is actually really fascinating. He's taking the motivation and the intentions of the steward, the manager in the parable, and he's confronting them. You see, the steward was using the master's possessions and the wealth, the owner's possessions and wealth, in an irresponsible way, likely, but not explicitly in a selfish way, but it's enough to get him fired from his job. And Jesus tells the people instead, your possessions and your wealth aren't yours for your sake, but actually meant 
to be used to bless others. You see, the steward is not faithful with his responsibilities, and it really does cost him. But Jesus tells the people, if you're faithful in the little things, actually more will be entrusted to you. And then there's the last statement. No one can serve two masters because you're going to hate one and you're going to love the others. You'll be devoted to one and you're going to despise the other. Now, this was a core problem, possibly the core problem, the root of the problem for the steward. You see, on one hand, he has an obligation and a responsibility. And if it's a job, he has a commitment to serve the master of that estate. But he's preoccupied with his own thing and doing his own ideas. And somehow in the process, it actually costs him this job which then he works double time in order to save his honor, which actually wouldn't have been necessary if he was trustworthy in the first place. Now, whether he was irresponsible and simply being an unfair businessman to people that they lent to, or he was an untrustworthy user of resources, his main efforts were not to make things right, but his main efforts were to save his own face from a heaping pile of shame that was coming his way because he was going to be shamefully dismissed. He did just enough to make the owner of the estate, the master, commend the work that he did. But again, it wasn't for the sake of the owner, the one who was paying him and that his commitment was to. It was for his own sake. You see, his second master that he actually had was his own ego or his own honor. And this is the hinge of the story, where it swings from a hypothetical parable to the present day and age. The Pharisees are even noted in this story as taking offense by this. They're, they're sneering at Jesus. Why? Because they have a master that they say they work for. They say that they work and they serve the Lord, but their true master actually seems to be their finances. They loved the money. And Jesus is confronting them. If you're going to say that God is your master, then live like it. But he also calls his disciples to decide who their master is through this parable. He's telling them, challenging them, who is in charge of your life? Who is Lord of your life? Now, the word master here in the parable, it's the Greek word kyrios, translated to master. And it was a common term that eventually became the descriptive term of master used only towards one person by the early church. Only God was their kyrios. So we leave this interesting and difficult to understand parable with a question today, a scenario given to us. Who is the master of your life today? Seriously, what dictates your decisions, your desires, your direction, or your dreams? What is the true master of your heart? Is it food, finance, sex, relationships, or even just your own ambition? Let's not just passively state, though, that God is our master without truly examining our hearts. The call that Jesus makes to his followers in this passage is not one of financial strategy, but one of complete surrender, obedience, and allegiance. You see, the response that Jesus continually looks for from those who wish to follow him in the New Testament, it's not one of just belief, but of faithfulness. In fact, the word for faith, which typically means belief, and the word for faithfulness, which we typically means like continued action on that belief, it's the same word. They're inseparable. So today, the call and the challenge is simple. Would you look at your life today in an honest assessment and ask, what or who is my master? What determines decisions, desires, directions, and dreams in my life? And if it's not God, then maybe we can explore together as we continue on our faith journey, what it would look like to put God in charge of your or my life. And the beauty of this passage is that it's not a guilt-filled one. 
I've shared before that I believe that faith is a journey. It's not a guilt trip. And this passage simply asks, who is leading you on this journey? Is it the one of the things of the world that it actually doesn't really care for you? Or is it God who is who has unending and immeasurable love for you and is, as the scripture writers put it, his love is beyond our understanding. So today I encourage you to place God as the leader of your life, that you would call him Lord and Savior in your hearts, your minds, and your souls today. I invite you to pray with me together. God, you are good and you're kind and you're faithful. And thank you for your grace and your mercy in our lives. And I pray that you would move in mercy and might today. Help us to cast aside the things that pull us away from you and to cling to the truth that draws us close. Lord, help us to walk in ways that put you in charge of our lives and not to be pulled away by what does not truly love us. Amen. Hey, thank you for joining us today at Clearview Community Church. Now, for more information about the church, more information about small groups, youth programs, children's ministry, or anything else you need to know or to reach out to receive prayer, anything like this, please visit our website at clearviewcommunity.church and we'd love to get in contact with you. God bless you and we'll see you next time.